This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. It is, in theory anyway, Mayor's Monday here on our radio station, and we hope to be joined in just a few moments by East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle. First, we have a bit of a fish wrap for you. Today's newspapers, tomorrow's fish wrap on the board, and with me in the studio is Dan Torres. Dan, I want to know, did you watch any sports yesterday? I don't know what you're referring to, but of course I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not refer- actually, I was not referring first to the Patriots game, which I do want to talk about. It's not that we I care t- that much. It's just that it was amazingly stupid what happened. Yes, we could talk about that. I, I definitely uh, saw, saw the highlights of that game. But I think you're referring to is the World Cup game. I am. And the World Cup, which is something – all right, let me back up. I don't, I must confess, pay a lot of attention to soccer or what in the rest of the world is called football. But this match yesterday mm-hmm. for the World Cup was amazing. I was riveted. And I know you are, in fact, a football fan. So tell us what your impressions. And tell uh, us your background was, and why you're so interested. Oh, well, I was born in Brazil. So by, by that, I have to like soccer and World Cup. It's a part of our uh, national heritage. And I'm, ha- I'm actually half Spanish, too. So, you know, when you're Spanish and Brazilian, you have to love soccer. So, yes, I did watch uh, the finale. It was Lionel Messi's final game uh, as a World Cup, in the World Cup, because it happens every four years. He'll be, I think, too old to play. So he uh, played his final World Cup game, and he won. And he had never won a, a World Cup trophy. So that was enormous, I think, for his career and to really... Uh, solidify his role as one of the greats. Well, why don't you in, tell in us soccer? Yeah, and, and he's, but, but, he's yeah. played for the national team for he's, for for many years. I think since two thousand six. He's like thirty six years old. I yeah, yeah, maybe a little younger than that. I, I think Cristiano Ronaldo is is thirty six, thirty seven, around that age. I think Messi's a little younger, like a year or two younger. But in any event, he I won't mean, be at the next World Cup. So this was it. They either he Argentina won this World Cup, and they'd give him a trophy, and they finally did. But the game itself, Bill. I mean, this is this oh is my goodness! Said. It was it a was three a three draw. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it could have been four to three. It could have ended could have, in the last could have. two or ten seconds. Yeah, it, the. the, the I was just riveted. To yeah, this that game. does not happen. All this was. I have watched World Cup since 1994, Bill. From as far as I can remember, I was born in '84, so I start remembering at about 10. And of course, that's when Brazil won, and then we went to the finals in '98 and won back in 2002. But this World Cup finals game was by far the best soccer game I think I've ever seen. The way it went, I mean, it was scripted beautifully. And it really had, I think, a happy ending if you're a fan of Messi, who will be playing, I believe, in Inter-Miami. So he'll be in the United States, which is big news, because in 2026, the World Cup will be in the United States and in Canada and Mexico. Okay, so, so I, have have few, tri- yeah. I have a few questions about Go that. Ahead. First of all, I have to say, I am talking about as if mm-hmm. the whole entire match was really just inspiring and riveting. And the second half of the match, of yeah. the, of the, of the of the contest was in fact, but France was losing yeah. two to nothing. Yeah. And it seemed, it, was boring. it seemed as if Argentina just was Cruising. controlling the entire game yes. and it was going to be, well, had, okay. So had the Argentinian, I think defender not pulled down the French guy inside the box, which gave them a penalty kick, which made it two to one. Had that not happened, this would have been a very boring game, and it would have been 2-0 for Argentina, and Argentinians would have been just happy to win it, and it would have been 2-0 because they dominated that first half like no other team has, I think, really. And the French team are amazing. What happened is the French get this penalty kick. It's 2-1, to one, and they have about 10 minutes left in the game. And I knew at that moment you could tell the French were going to score. They were going to put the pressure on, and they tie it 2-2 two to two within two minutes. They within tied it two exactly to two. 93 seconds. seconds. 93 yeah. seconds. It was incredible. So then you're like 2-2. Two, two. You're like, uh-oh, what's going to happen here? Then you think the momentum's on the French side. They might even capture a third goal and win it 3-2, to two, which would be one of the great comebacks. But... It went into extra time, and then you have an extra 30 minutes of soccer. That I didn't know. That was a rule I didn't know, not being a a, a fan, that it's not the first to score. It's It's just 30 more minutes. It used to be a a golden goal win if you you scored. It used to be that rule, and they changed it. Yes, they changed it, and they said, you know what? 
It's not fair. It could be just luck that somebody scored first. So they changed the rule. It must have been like 10, 14 years ago. Uh, it used to be you just scored an extra time and the game was over. That's it. That's the excitement. Now they said you got to play a full 30 minutes and see who's on top at the end of that. So uh, Argentina scores, Messi scores, and it's three to two. And you think the game's over. And then with about three minutes left in extra time, the French get another penalty kick. It was incredible. And, of course, Mbappe, who, in case anybody's following, he is the French superstar player. I mean, he's world-renowned world now. He's, he's one of the greats already, and he's 23 years old. He's already won a World Cup with France four years ago. He is an incredible uh, player. Um, he won the Golden Boot, which means he has the most goals in, in the entire World Cup. And uh, he, he kicks the penalty kick to 3-3 to go into sudden death penalty kicks, essentially, is, is what the final uh, decider is. Yeah, well, for those of us who don't follow this, explain mm -hmm. to me how that seems fair. That, and not, I know this happens, this happens in, in hockey as well. Yes. That there are these one-on-one. Uh, -on -one one, yeah, shootouts, sh yeah. Shootout yeah. From, from one player to a goalie. <laughs> But it's not between one player and a goalie. It seems to me a kind of terrible way yeah. to to uh, end, end the game. It's a terrible way. I, I, I don't like it. This is my, my view here. So obviously I'm not speaking for anybody or any organization, but I think it's terrible. I think it should go to um, something like, like you just said, the, the golden goal. I think after 30 minutes of extra play, if, if the teams are still tied, then it should go. You get some additional subs, subs into the game, and then you should be able to score and end the game. One right. more goal, and this ends the game. Now, as I understand yeah. it... But right now, it's penalty kicks. You get five penalty kicks, and it's the best of five. And, That's the rule. And France missed the second penalty kick. And the third. Yes. Yes, they missed the second and the third. Which, and of course, the abuse then goes on to the players. It's it's really unfair because all the pressure's on those players. Once they miss, like fans, they, they go irate and they start blaming those guys. I mean, the pressure is so heavy on their shoulders. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me the uh, you could do. Well, I'm I don't know why I'm pontificating on this since I don't yeah. I'm not really a fan. But it seems to me that your suggestion, whoever scores the next goal wins, that would make sense. Yeah. And you and or you could start with corner kicks and see who gets them in. Yeah, they, they could do that, but I don't think they're going to do that. I think they want free play. I mean, this is soccer should be decided by soccer play, right? So let's say uh, the game is still tied. You go into overtime, extra time, right? And so right now the rule is you go for an extra 30 minutes. And if it's still tied, then you go into these penalty kicks. I think they should just keep playing soccer. I think the, the game should just be the game. And you should change the rules. After an extra 30 minutes of extra time, it should then be golden goal wins the game. Uh, you know, I don't know. you got to work that rule. I don't like these penalty kicks. But it does add a sense of excitement. I don't think it's going to change, um, but I, I wish it did because, you know, I feel for those players. A lot of, a lot of players take, you know, they start apologizing for missing the penalty kicks personally on Twitter and to fans. And, and uh, you know, there's, a, there's also an element of race into this, right? If, if the player who misses the penalty kick happens to be of, of African uh, descent, you know, they get, they get racial abuse on Twitter. Um, and then the kind you know, so there's a whole bunch of, of aspects to this that are um, about sociology and things like that, which I don't think are fair uh, onto the players because really any player can miss that penalty kick, by the way, anyone. And it, it's not a guarantee. Even if you're the best player, it's just, it happens to be luck. The, the goalie figured it out, figured out where you were going to kick it to and, and got there first. So, um, yeah, it adds a level of an excitement, but I think people weren't feeling well. I can imagine people, people really get into this. And, uh, and when you feel like, you know, you were, you were inches away, and that's how France must feel. They were so close they were. to winning this they game were. and making a great comeback. They feel like maybe it was stolen from them. I actually think the team that played best was Argentina, slightly. They won. They deserved to win. It was beautiful. 
And and you, as a non-fan, getting excited about this game, I think, is great, I was, too. I was just super excited. I mean, I may watch a lot more football. And I, I, I would Premier like to, League soccer. I, but yes, go ahead. It's okay to call it soccer. So listen, what I, what I would it's like... It's the British to, League. <laughs> what I'd like to know is, as a person from Brazil, mm-hmm. uh, what was happening when your native country was not in the finals? Is it do, do people still follow the World Cup? Oh, yeah. yeah they still follow it? soccer. I mean, they're disappointed and they're angry and they're mad and they want to blame somebody um, for the loss, right? So then they start pointing fingers, saying the coach was the problem or this player isn't good enough. Why was he called up? But yes, they do follow it. Um, a lot of people have multiple identities. So for me, I'm half Spanish on my mother's side. So if Spain is still around, I cheer for Spain. And then I start picking countries that, you know, haven't had a history of going very far. In like the, the United Cup. States. Like the United States. Or <laughs> for example. <laughs> right, anyway, for example. But this World Cup was amazing because Morocco did something that uh, a country of uh, from North Africa, an Arab descent had never done before, which is get to the semifinals, which was huge. And they had to beat the big boys, Spain, Portugal. Uh, they were the top of their group in, in the group stages of the World Cup. It's just incredible to see the development. Saudi Arabia, in its first match of this World Cup, played Argentina and beat them. And let me tell you, a lot of Brazilians are sending text messages all across the country laughing and making jokes about Argentina getting beaten by Saudi Arabia, a team full of uh, domestic players. They play in the domestic league of Saudi Arabia. They then play for the National League, the best of the best, and they beat this Argentinian team. Um, So it looked like it was going to be a bad World Cup for Lionel Messi in Argentina, and yet they got the fairy tale ending. They got the ratings, they got the conversation on Twitter, and Lionel Messi gets his first World Cup, which I think solidifies him as certainly in the modern era, post-1990, as, as he is probably the best soccer player uh, around. So, Dan Torres, let me ask you yeah. this. As a longtime fan, someone who's been a fan of soccer or football uh, in the same way that I have been a fan of baseball, baseball since yes. I was a, so very young does the politicalization, I'm not sure that's a word, but mm-hmm. the, the politics of this World Cup, did that add or detract to the, to the event for you? Mm. Um, yeah, it makes you uh, pause for a second and to really think about the game and the people. Yeah, I mean, how can you root for Saudi Arabia? I mean, that's you you really can't. Yeah, yeah. That's a good example. Um, you start thinking you have to separate the teams from the governments and the officials who run those governments, and that's not easy to do. And, and I can see why people would say, hey, those, those teams represent the government. The government is probably funding them. I, I think of it separately, um, and I don't know if that's fair to do. Look, Qatar should have they uh, built these stadiums. It, people died. Thousands of people died building these stadiums. The, they've been, it's been known. With the, My, gu- the guest workers. Yeah, the guest workers who are going. And we're talking. So-called uh, guest workers. So, so-called guest workers. How about exploited foreign Exploited workers. foreign workers that come in there, don't have rights, don't have labor laws. They take them. They're underpaid. They're overworked. And it, here's the problem. It's within FIFA. And I think maybe now they got the FIFA message, being the, the, governing the, the governing body that actually says, yes, Qatar, you can host this party. The blame to me lies on them. They're the one who chose this venue, right? They also chose Russia four years ago, right? And, and Crimea happened four years prior to that. So my point in all of this is the ones hosting the party, ultimately in my book, are the ones responsible for, for these problems. And uh, you know, they, they try to spin it as best they can in order to, you know, do damage control. But it's wrong when they are um, going into a country and these, and these human rights issues are happening and they're just like, well, we want to have a great party. So imagine, it's like, how do you balance that? You want to have a great party at the same time, you don't want to do harm or exacerbate harm. And they did, and they should pay a price for it. I don't think they will because people just love this sport and are fanatical about it. But yeah, it does detract. And because, frankly, it's a racist... Uh, yeah. These lives don't matter if thousands yeah. of people died. Yeah. So oh, what, not we, to mention women's, gays' rights, uh, everything. Like, Qatar is not on the forefront of this. And um, FIFA doesn't want to have that conversation, right? They just think it's just a party. They want us to not look over there. 
And yet people were talking about it and people were making a, an issue about it. But I, I think... But nothing happened. But nothing happened. And, and will highlighting these issues change the Qatari government policy? I don't think so. And it's FIFA's responsibility. You're the one who gave them uh, the World Cup rights to, to host this event. And look, fine. It, it, was, it was in terms of hosting, they were uh, fine to do a great job. The stadiums are beautiful. But at what cost? And... Uh, Ultimately, in my book, FIFA is responsible for that, the, the governing body of soccer. They're the ones who let this happen. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New, New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Christmas Day. Your aunt shows up with that kooky boyfriend and now you're not going to have enough mashed potatoes. Oh, how he loves his mashed potatoes. And your brother's new diet he announces includes Cool Whip. Between you and me, what kind of diet is that? And man, yesterday when the stores were insane, you forgot to get the butter. Butter! Good thing Cooper's Corner Market is open in Florence, Christmas Day until 1 p.m. Good thing State Street Fruit Store in Northampton is also open until 1. They're sister stores. Would you expect less from sisters? Whatever's left on your menu list Christmas morning, not to worry. It's all at Cooper's and State Street. Milk, check. Butter, check. Rolls, check. Cranberry sauce goes without saying. And get this, you can even get a roasting pan. I'm not kidding. Soda and ice, onions and celery. Coopers and State Street, open until 1 Christmas Day and 9 Christmas Eve. Florence and Northampton. Coopers and State Street, Florence and Northampton. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Did you know that veterans make up about one-third of America's adult homeless population? Only 3.9 cents of each income tax dollar last year went to veterans' benefits. Ever wonder about where your tax money goes? More information on how your tax money is being spent can be found at nationalpriorities.org. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We welcome back to our studio Gwen Agna and Shelley Rotner, and they are here because they have an amazing new book titled True You, A Gender Journey. Gwen Agna is, of course, the beloved educator who Tartan was the principal of the Jackson Street School in Northampton for some, I believe, 24 years. Shelley Rotner is the co-author, a well-known photographer uh, and author as well. True Journey, True You, A Gender Journey. Let me start with you, Gwen Agnew, because uh, yes. I, I know you and so many of our friends and neighbors and colleagues have had kids in your school and just adored you. Are, really, I know the word... <laughs> Beloved is overused, but not in this instance. It is absolutely appropriate. So I'd like to know from you, and I'll ask you a question that uh, I n almost never ask because it's in some ways a bad question, but for you in this instance, I think it's actually a good question, which is what inspired you 
to want to write and have illustrated and have the photographs in this book. What was the inspiration for you? And I suppose we should ask you to preface that by telling our listeners what is the book about? Okay, um, the book is about what it says is a gender journey. It's about children exploring their identities over from early years and through actually there's a, a child there who's in college at this point and the book is about the ways that you can explore that in in the children's words which i think is makes it very powerful uh, the reason i was inspired to write it is that i did spend a lot of time with children over those years i was actually an educator for 47 years and the children's voice is so critical in everything that we do and i think sometimes isn't heard and in the last well many years i did at jackson street school there were lots of children exploring their identities for a variety of reasons as well as their families and i realized what they needed was just support and acknowledgement and affirmation and i felt that this book could be a tool in helping teachers and their families understand and affirm these beautiful children now, you just told us that the book is in the children's voice. And, and I think you also used the phrase in, in the children's words. What did you mean by that? Well, there is some text that, that Shelley and I wrote together. Um, the very simple text, because Shelley's books are so amazing that way that they don't get laden down with too much text. But we found as we were taking the photos, Shelley took the photos and I would stand there um, and take notes. And we would show the photos, Shelley will describe how she does that, and the children would say their words about themselves. So I jotted those down, and um, our editor ended up saying we needed speech bubbles. Those of you who, are in, who know about graphic novels know that speech bubbles are really critical now for helping everybody understand these are children's voices. So we used their words and put them in speech bubbles attached to their photograph. And I think that is one of the most powerful parts of this book. What age group is this book intended for? And the editor has in the book age four to eight. But again, um, I think that many, many children above that and maybe adults would appreciate this book because many have been on this gender journey. And, you know, I've read it to my 10-year-old granddaughter, who actually a couple of photographs are in it. And I think the um, the student who is in this book at the end with a statement that she wrote, these are, these are again, very validating um, pages and statements. And I think that this could be used at all levels for children. But again, because of simple text, I think the editor always puts ages four to eight in that way. Did I, you? Sorry. Sure, Shelley Rotner. Rotner. Um, I also wanted to interject that um, this book is about inclusivity. So it's really for everybody. And I'd like to think pretty much for every age because their siblings, their parents, their grandparents, um, everybody could learn something by reading these children's words. And that the children that are in the book are so proud to be represented um, and portrayed in a way with respect and joy and love. Well, let me ask you this. Um, there are these amazing photographs. Uh, did the children or their parents volunteer? How did you find the children who were the uh, subjects of the, of the photographs you took? Well, I have to thank Gwen for that. Uh, this has been an absolutely beautiful, perfect collaboration. And with the work that Gwen did at Jackson Street, she befriended these families, children and families, uh, won their trust, and older children who we met during the journey of creating this book, many repeated that they wished they had this kind of book when they were at a younger age let growing me, up. Yeah, let me ask you this. Let me, let me start with Gwen. I'll go back to you, Shelley. Um, was the text written before the photographs were, in other words, were the photographs uh, uh, Mm -hmm. created in order to meet the text or the photographs in, in existence and then you wrote text around them? How did that work? And you and I appreciate it because you talk about this collaboration. You are uh, co-authors on this book. So yes. tell us about that creative process. That's an interesting question. I think it was kind of before, during, and after that the words came, the ones that we wrote, that the authors wrote. 
based on what we saw and learned from these families, as well as we learned a lot in developing what was called the back matter, which is the the grown up words in the back that tell you the glossary and some of the supports that you can provide children. So I think that we we started by writing some and then we took some photos. Shelley has an incredible library of photos, so we would look at just children to get us inspired. Um, so I, that's the way I feel like it was written. Is that something, Shelley, that echoes with you? It does. Um, and I think we evolved. The more we worked on this, the deeper we got. And we interacted with the uniqueness of every participant. And just to repeat, um, my mission was about inclusivity. So just a bunch of diverse kids. Um, we start, there's a page that says, um, we're girls, we're boys, we're both, we're neither, we're not sure. So we just wanted to have a wide spectrum of participants. And for the process, for the creative process, after we found kids and families that were really excited and thrilled to be represented and a part of this, I used my iPhone. And that's a tough admission as a photographer, but with the quality I could get now, um, I could use that, and it allowed me to interact with the kids. Well, because they're familiar with uh, uh, cell phones and it was not intimidating yeah. as opposed to having all your cameras around your neck? Somewhat, but I could take a picture and then I could show it to the child. <coughs> and I could ask them if they liked it or not. And, you know, most kids will, yeah. And I said, like, please, just think about it. Would you rather be smiling? Would you rather be serious? Would you rather turn your head? So it was a process of working with the kids so that they would really love the photo of themselves to be in a book. Let me ask you this. Uh, let me ask you both this. When we start with Gwen, uh, in terms of family saying, okay, you can have permission to take the photograph of my child, um, and they don't know necessarily what text is going next to their photograph, um, how did you... Uh, navigate that and was it awkward or was it uh, not no i think we were very very careful for one thing no children's names are used in this and we were adamant with the editor that we would not have any names um, and we also showed them the, the spreads I'm, I'm learning all the technical words and writing a book but the page that the children were on we showed them the picture and the words next to it and made sure that they were okay with it so we were very very careful we we know the dangers are out there in social media, and we don't want. We wanted to protect the children. Shelley, was it in any way awkward for you as a photographer? Uh, not at all. Um, everybody was a willing participant. The kids were excited. Um, a couple of kids, we went back and did a second session. Um, some of the kids added words. Some changed the words. It was really. A collaboration not only with Gwen but with everybody involved. So I have in front of me this amazing photograph of a uh, girl. Be careful. <laughs> or a boy, or or a they. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so when you were photographing the 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 kids. Um, did you ask them to do things? Um, I mean, are these posed in any way? Or are these spontaneous? How did you go about getting the photographs, particularly the action photos? Um, well, I think right now Bill is looking at a photo of my neighbor on a trampoline. And out my kitchen window, I would see him flying. It looked like he was flying from my angle. I developed a relationship with them, and they were really proud of how they, um, you know, their skill on the trampoline. And I said, well, I'm working on this book. Would you like to be included? We have to get your parents' permission first. And I said, the trampoline is awesome, and that's what they wanted for their photo. So did you talk to the kids and their parents about what kind of a photo they want? I mean, there are photos of kids on bikes. There are kids doing all sorts of action things. Sure. I mean, did they have a choice? Actually... Not a bad place to end this segment. We'll be right back. We'll take a break, and we'll continue our conversation with Gwen Agna and Shelley Rotner, whose new book is True You, A Gender Journey. We'll be right back.
This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. State Rep. Lindsay Sabadosa says she plans to file 25 new bills when the formal legislative session starts again next month. One of them is a bill that would allow pharmacists to prescribe hormonal birth control, cutting out the need for a doctor to write the prescription first. We are in a moment where it is extremely difficult to find a primary care physician. It can often be months. And one of the things that we're hearing is a lot of people look for a primary care physician and want to get on birth control and then end up pregnant. If passed, this bill would make Massachusetts the 17th state to make it legal for pharmacists to prescribe hormonal birth control. Crews responded Sunday afternoon to a first alarm fire that broke out in a structure on King Street in Hatfield. Multiple area departments responded for mutual aid, including South Deerfield Fire District. King Street was temporarily closed but reopened several hours later. Hatfield fire crews returned from the scene by 8.15 p.m., leaving one engine for a fire watch. Shelburne Falls Coffee Roasters in Greenfield was struck by a car Sunday night. The driver was headed south on Federal Street when they underwent a medical emergency and crossed the center line, colliding with three parked cars, according to Greenfield Police Sergeant David Rice. The driver then went into reverse and traveled back across the center line and ran into the corner of Shelburne Falls Coffee Roasters. The damage to the building was non-structural. The driver was transported to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries and is being charged with civil motor vehicle violations. Cool start, bright day, and breezy today. We'll call it partly to mostly sunny, a high of 36 to 40. The breeze could gust over 20 miles per hour from time to time, especially during the middle of the day. Mostly clear tonight, overnight low of 18 to 24, mostly sunny, 34 to 38 tomorrow. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El Comité de la Cámara que investiga los disturbios en el Capitolio celebrará su reunión final el lunes, concluyendo su investigación de un año y medio al pedirle al Departamento de Justicia que investigue posibles delitos. El presidente del Comité, el representante Benny Thompson, demócrata de Mississippi, ha dicho que el Comité hará referencias criminales al Departamento de Justicia y recomendará el enjuiciamiento, pero no ha revelado quiénes serían los objetivos o si el expresidente Donald Trump estaría entre ellos. Le correspondería a los fiscales federales decidir si seguir con las referencias para el enjuiciamiento. Los legisladores han sugerido que los cargos contra Trump podrían incluir conspiración para defraudar a los Estados Unidos y obstrucción de un procedimiento oficial del Congreso. Las recomendaciones del comité aumentarían la presión política sobre el Departamento de Justicia mientras investiga las acciones de Trump. En otras informaciones, el Movimiento de Puerto Rico por un Mayor Autogobierno recibió un impulso el jueves en la Cámara de Representantes de Estados Unidos que aprobó un proyecto de ley para un referéndum sobre tres posibles futuros, aunque la medida tenía pocas posibilidades de ser aceptada por el Senado. La Ley del Estatus de Puerto Rico describe los términos para un referéndum vinculante sobre las tres opciones, independencia total, la condición de Estado de los Estados Unidos o soberanía con la Asociación Formal de los Estados Unidos, similar a las Islas Marshall y Micronesia. El representante demócrata Raúl Grijalva, el patrocinador original del proyecto de ley, dijo que ya sea que la medida obtenga una votación en el Senado o no, aún así sentará un importante precedente histórico para Puerto Rico. Han habido seis referéndums sobre el tema desde la década de 1960, pero no fueron vinculantes. Solo el Congreso puede otorgarle a Puerto Rico la estadidad. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Gwen Agna, beloved educator, 47 years. I knew about the 24 Jackson Street, but I didn't know about the 47 years is now retired, and Shelley Rotner, who is a well-known photographer uh, and has many, many books uh, into her credit. How many, Shelley? I think fifty-seven. <laughs> I didn't know about the. I didn't know about. Wow, fifty-seven yeah. books, uh, photographs. All photographs. Yes. Wow, and I guess I don't know. I, I don't know if this disclosure is necessary. One of which featured my daughter Jo, uh, nature spy. Star of Nature's Spy. Okay, a beautiful photograph, yeah. a beautiful book. 
So the name of their, the title of their new book is True You, A Gender Journey. And just before the break, I posed the question to you, Shelley, about photos and uh, the manner in which you took them and how you, how you uh, got them. So tell us more about that. Sure. Um, I tend to focus on the subject, and I wanted to have different backgrounds where, where all the attention was really put on the child. Some of the action photographs were to help kids relax and do what they love to do and capture their energy and spirit. And so it was just a mix-up, what felt right, what was convenient, the lighting. And, um, and you have to also think about the design, who comes after somebody else and after somebody else. So it was just a mix. I'd like to know this. I, I want to take a small detour here, but I don't want to lose track of this. You said that you took the photographs with your iPhone. You said it kind of sheepishly, um, but you said it. So we're going to follow up, okay? Sure. Um, I'd like to know, is the quality as good as the photographs are sharp, clear? Is the movement uh, reduced or whatever the issues are when you're photographing kids who tend to move? Probably, hi, yeah. sit still, not probably being the best uh, instruction to a kid. Um, uh, does the iPhone give you the kind of quality of photographs that you have had in the past when you're using your cameras? And I've seen the cameras. They are uh, expensive-looking yeah. items. Well, mostly. Mostly. And I did a lot of tests photographing the kids in other situations with both my fancy Leica and then my iPhone. And I would say 97% of the time I can get equal quality with my iPhone. Um, the one issue is motion, and I, there were a couple kids who had so much energy I wanted to capture them jumping, like the kid on the trampoline. But if the light is good, it's not a problem. So is, where is the difference? In other words, I mean, we hear a lot and we see a lot on, on uh, iPhones of photographs that look amazing. And I'm wondering if there, where are the places where you as a photographer say, I can't quite do that. And, and, but for the most part, I'm really quite astounded to hear you as a uh, longtime, very experienced, very successful professional photographer say, I can get images that are air as good on a phone. That's astounding. Well, you know, new phones. The technology mm -hmm. is there. It, without getting too technical, it's about um, the quality that could hold up to, say, a full-page photo in a book where it doesn't get reticulated. Um, where it doesn't get what, what, reticulated. What, 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 like <laughs> how much information is in the capture. And it, it wouldn't work if it didn't, wasn't that high quality with the iPhone. But I think the few times that it didn't work, if it was low light um, or if I missed an action shot, it was so worth interacting with the children, especially for this book. They felt they owned it. They were part of what was created and representing them. And what was no. the word you used about the capturing the, the information, which I take as the number of... Uh, Im, uh, yeah, like DPI. It's the, when I use the word reticulation, like sometimes photos could look grainy if it doesn't have the quality. And the more you blow it up, the more you're at risk of losing your quality. So, Shelley, I know you have the book open in front of you to a page you want to uh, share with our listeners, please. You and I and Gwen were talking about during the break. Sure. Sure. This is one spread of a child who's wearing a rainbow heart sweatshirt holding a stuffed um, bunny. And in the speech bubble it says, I'm not sure if I'm a boy or a girl. Sometimes it's hard to know how I feel or what to wear. It doesn't matter. I'm a kid. I like my bunny and cars. What was the, the inspiration for you for this book? I asked uh, when Agna the same question, but I'd like to know for you uh, what was what what brought you into this project and what inspired you about it. Well, I love to collaborate, and when collaborations work, it's wonderful for me to share ideas and grow bigger. And I have known Gwen for a long time, and our we had a lot of intersections over time through education my visits to Jackson Street, and every time I walked into Jackson Street in the main hallway, I was just 
pretty blown away by the brick wall that had artwork that was usually thematic um, from every grade in the school, whether it was about racism, um, climate change. It was just how Gwen embraced the entire population at Jackson. I knew she was retiring, and I just had a feeling with her incredible experience and intelligence that she had book ideas. So I asked her what she was going to do in retirement, and I asked her if she wanted to talk about maybe a book. And I've had this experience before with a, a local psychologist, and we went on to do nine books together. And Gwen was like, hmm, interesting. But, you know, I haven't done a book. I said, well, let's see what we have. What do you need? What did you not have at your school that would have been useful to help children there? And she said gender. So there we started exploring. COVID had just started. We, that's why a lot of the photos are outside. We, we photographed and met with kids all winter <laughs> in alleyways and on the sides of buildings. <laughs> and, you know, and it, was, it just grew. And it just fit together, Gwen's words and my words. And we had wonderful editor and art director who also involved us. So were you writing at the same time, Gwen? And I should note for our listeners who thinks, think that Gwen sounds a little uh, under the weather <laughs> that, in fact, she is joining us nonetheless. Uh, re- <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> Sound effects. <laughs> right on cue. <laughs> right on cue, um, remotely, so keeping us all healthy, which we appreciate. So, Gwen, t- tell, tell us more about that from your point of view. Yeah, I think that, um, again, as Shelley said, it was a real collaboration, and it was something that I had heard these voices and these words many times over the course of the time as a principal, going into classrooms and getting teachers to ask me for support or advice, or I would get support and advice from the teachers themselves, too, about how to um, help parents understand. We call them caregivers now how caregivers t- understand what's going on for the children and whether it's developmentally appropriate or whether it's something that um, they're going to need to get some attention for. Um, and it was just a good thing for us to put together um, and get the local experts. I'd like to point out that we have a therapeutic support section in the back. There's a, Shannon Senat is a local social worker therapist who has specialized in transgender children and she provided us with lots of great information and is a real resource for families who whose kids are having some questions about these things um so i think you know it was just for us it was putting together something that was child friendly and child's voice but also something that the adults could use as well I, i as a principle, I use picture books all the time to demonstrate what's going on or being able to share some ideas with children. And I think picture books are one of the most powerful tools teachers have in their toolbox. Yeah. And also, we were hoping this book would be a catalyst for conversation so that um, it was an opening for everyone to explore and ask more questions, um, peak curiosity, for kids who, who didn't know, or for kids who didn't know how to find their voice to help them. And I think the power of photography with something like this is that they're real kids. There have been many other books, but I have not come across any yet with photos of real kids and true voices. Yeah, and some spectacular photographs. I'm looking at one now of a kid and the words on the left-hand page, and it's not divided up half and half. It's uh, it's really creative way in which the photograph comes over the three quarter. Which what do you call this? Like three quarter. And this is and, and the, when it comes over both pages, and the, the, it's kind of mm-hmm. and it says there are different ways to show and be who you are. It's up to you how you feel, how you dress, how you act, how you play, learn, and love. This is not how I planned uh, to spend the last segment of the show, but I would really like to talk to Gwen Agna and Shelley Rodner a bit more about how you as educators deal with kids who are having issues with regard to a gender identity. Uh, the book is an enormous contribution. I'd like to know more about that, which we'll do if you can stay with us right after the break. Have to remember you come 
This is Bill Newman, WHMP. In this the season of thanks and giving, United Way of Franklin and Hampshire Region wants to remind you to support the organizations and people who are doing the hard work of making our community a better place. Please consider supporting a local nonprofit with a tax-deductible gift this December. If you're not sure how to help, go to uw-fh.org to find a list of United Way vetted partner agencies. The United Way of the Franklin and Hampshire Region asks you to help make the Valley a happier, healthier, and more equitable place for everyone. I'm Tony Warden, President and Chief Executive Officer of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and a safe and healthy new year. Hi, this is Teresa from the 63 Federal Street Office of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I would like to wish all of our customers and their families a Christmas that's merry and bright and a happy new year filled with love, health, and happiness. Hi, this is Mandy. And this is Rachel from, from Greenfield, Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Bank. Wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and all the other holidays you may celebrate this season. Hi, this is Jane Wolf, Senior Vice President of Residential Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hello, I'm James Alexander. Vice President and Commercial Lender located in Shelburne Falls. I want to wish everyone a happy and safe holiday season from the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. This is Chelsea. And this is Maggie. From the Commercial Loan Department. We want to wish our family, friends, and customers a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This thank you is to all the nurses, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, radiology techs, and non-clinical departments who commit themselves every day to making New England orthopedic surgeons in Western Mass the top orthopedic practice in the region. This is Tony Reno, Executive Director. And from myself and all the doctors at New England Orthopedic Surgeons, we wish everyone the happiest of holidays. Need a ride to the doctor? Tech support? Pictures hung? Looking to connect with others in the community? At Northampton Neighbors, our goal is to help seniors live independent, fulfilling lives by providing connection and support along the way. We are free of charge and offer a range of social and volunteer opportunities, as well as services for members 55 and older in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. Membership in Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. It's about engaging in place. This place, the city of Northampton, we welcome one and all to join, volunteer, or donate to Northampton Neighbors. Together, we can create the community we all want to live in, now and in the future. Find us at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or by calling 413-341-0160. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Gwen Agna and Shelley Rodner. Their new book is True You, A Gender Journey. The photographs are by Shelley as well. I'd like to ask you, Gwen Agna, uh, based on your 47 years as an educator and with 24 years as principal at Jackson Street, I'd like to know this. Um, I assume that there are difficult issues that uh, come up for educators. And, uh, and, of course, we've read a lot about Florida with the uh, don't say gay bill and law in that state. And it seems to me that this poses enormous uh, challenges for educators uh, who, who want to do right by the kid, but I'm not sure that there's a path here that is well-trod or, or has been gone down enough time so that people, and educators in particular, I don't mean people, educators, uh, that, that there's a, a some kind of guide as to what to do with kids who are having issues with regard to a gender identity. Um, let, me let me read this one bubble from your book. Um, it says, everyone thought I was a girl when I was born, but I'm really a boy. People should not be treated differently because of their gender. Everyone should feel safe to be who they are. Tell us more about how you accomplish that or try to accomplish that as an educator of young children. 
Well, I think it's critical that a leader of a school understands that number one is safety for children. Of course, we want to challenge them academically and all the other things, but we just want to make sure they feel safe because they aren't going to learn if they're not feeling safe. And there's a variety of ways that they may not feel safe, that something from their home or something in the world, you know, their own fears. But I think what I was observing over the years was that there was a sense of confusion, I guess. I think some people use gender dysphoria as a word, but um, I think some confusion in developing their identities. And it really made a difference if I could ask the teachers at the school to support the students being able to talk about those things honestly and openly if they wanted to do it in classrooms or they wanted to do it with the school counselor. The teachers that I worked with were so brilliant at supporting the ways that the children wanted to come to terms with what they were dealing with. And so they knew that it sometimes could be a conversation in the classroom. It sometimes needed to be a private conversation. And always caregivers were involved because, you know, we hear stories of kids who um, don't want to be outed when they go home about the name or the pronouns that they're using at school. And fortunately for elementary students, for the most part, we were able to um, try to partner with families and saying, okay, let's see how we want to do this together. But as you said, the, the climate in some areas is, is pretty scary that there are adults who I think out of fear and lack of knowledge are not able to do that for the children, either the children that they know or their own children. Um, and, you know, it even it comes to the valley. I did a reading at a local, not not Northampton, but a, a library in the area. And before I came on to do it, the librarian called me to say that that had been something that had happened, that the this stuff was really being out there on the social media about this book. Shelley, a final word from you? Um, I hope we can get this book into many hands and it's for everybody. We will, we will leave it there. The book is True You, A Gender Journey by Gwen Agna and Shelley Rodner. Photographs by Shelley as well. It is available at your local independent bookstore. It would be a great Hanukkah or Christmas gift. Thank you both so very much for being with us today, and thank you both so very much for this book. And thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHM. There's a shadow in everybody's window, and I am her. There's a dark cloud in everybody's sunlight, and I am her. WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers, WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply. How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat to Live build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's